Starting off the show the right way, Martin Mulligan. He said, looking forward to listening in the morning, Lukey, is the first pod I listen to on the way to work, K. Love on that. That is cool. That's from the UK. We love a little Martin Milligan, uh, Mulligan. You know, I love Mulligans in golf. We love Martin Mulligan, too. Dakota, how are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good, man. We had a slower weekend this weekend. Other things were dealt with this weekend in every boxing fan's life, but uh, better one this weekend. I mean, it's stacked this week. I do have some notes just to go over real quick, so we'll hit it at the top of the show. Um, I doubt that you watched it, but do you have any thoughts on Callum Walsh versus Ismail uh, Villarreal? It's this strange thing where 360 boxing promotions are putting their cards on UFC Fight Pass, which basically offers no value to a fight fan other than their shows because it's a strictly UFC platform, which kind of alienates most boxing consumers. And it just kind of makes me wonder who is the consumer. Um, I did watch the fight. I went, I watched Kane Sandoval fight. I watched Callum Walsh. Callum Walsh guy that's very heavily hyped. 360 boxing promote. I'm doing a lot of talking because I'm assuming you're not. You didn't see it, but I'm just setting the groundwork. Callum Walsh is a guy that trains with Freddie Roach, wildcard boxing. He's someone there's a lot of expectation on, uh, big media tour. And he's kind of also playing the UFC hits. He's kind of playing both sides in that. He's saying, you know, I don't really follow boxing. I want to have a UFC fight. He's kind of saying the stuff that the guy in the muscle shirt might like to hear. Uh, he had that point that we always talk about in every young fighter's career where he just had a hard fight and everyone goes, Oh my God, I don't know if I'm still on the hype train, but it's just, he fought a guy in Villarreal tough veteran, probably about a draw. The guy sat him on his wallet in the last round to me watching this fight, Callum Walsh, it looked like if he can't hurt you, he was kind of confused. It looked like he was coming out to blitz him when the power didn't happen. He went, Oh God needed a second win. Kind of got it. But I mean, this was the classic, like he ran into a tough guy and, you know, 50-50 fight. The scorecards didn't reflect reality, but in boxing, we expect that. Dakota, what do you think? Well, you were right in that I didn't see the fight, but the only thing I think that I would contribute to that is that I think the UFC fight pass thing is a kind of a weird platform to put boxing on. I do think it's probably the UFC's attempt to make that branch out for itself, you know, so that they can kind of spearhead more fights like Nganu and Fury. And I think that that's probably part of why that's the distribution for that. Well, I think it's weird because like in 2018, 2019, 360 boxing Hollywood fight nights were some of my favorite cards because they were streaming on their own. They're putting it on the internet. They were kind of taking this very gung ho. We're going to make it happen. We're going to do it all by ourselves approach. When they move over to the UFC fight pass, I'm all for people getting paid, but it feels like their cards have just not been relevant at all. Like, it feels like you got guys like Suri Boachuk. I don't know where he stacks up in the division, but he's a fun puncher. You know, maybe he doesn't win a title, but he's a fun puncher. He kind of occupies the Beck the Bully spot where he, he's going to be in fun fights. He's going to win fun fights. He's going to be beloved. And it just feels like a lot of the 360 boxing fighters just don't seem as relevant in the world of boxing because people aren't tuning into UFC Fight Pass. That's my perception. Well, because they're not, that's not a, a typical shirt. Like when I think of the platforms that I'm already paying for, for boxing specifically, um, that wouldn't necessarily be one that I would even think to go to for boxing. So it is a, it's just an odd way to, 
And it's not cheap, bro. As you know, with boxing, you got to be rich to watch boxing. Like, you got to be rich. Like, you can't be broke and watch boxing because everything costs. But it's roughly like about $10. And they're not, like, no disrespect to 360, but they're not throwing a ton of cards. So it's like you got to, you know, you're, you're getting a card maybe every two, three months. But you're basically paying a la carte, you know. This just basically... And I guess for me, I'd almost rather it be on fight TV and I just put out my visa debit and pay exclusively than have to go through a midi intermediary service that offers a lot of programming that I'm sure it's good, but it just doesn't apply to me. They, they must have some kind of hope that they're going to get UFC fan converts or at least try to tap into that market. I don't know what a Callum Walsh fight would do for that, but I, maybe that's the thinking. What's your feeling on Callum Walsh? Because I've always been kind of undecided on him. I think he's very young. I think it's always very unrealistic to throw a young fighter who's like two, three years into his pro career and put expectations of world champion or bust when he's very young in the game. I just feel like because Tom Loeffler is so connected with the media and people are so excited from the Golovkins and the Klitschko's, seeing Loeffler back a guy like Callum Walsh who has Ireland behind him, People really want him to be good, and now we've got to find out, is he good? Yeah, I mean, anytime Freddie's with somebody, he must see something. Um, I've only seen him fight once. I think I saw him fight um, the fight prior to this. Um, I think he's really good, but again, like you said, it's another young fighter that has a ton of expectations on him. The minute there's any sort of resistance in the ring, people throw their hands up and go, see, I told you, and... uh, you know, he's going to have to fight through that. And I mean, sometimes these see, I told you moments are the moments that define a fighter in a good way, but we live in such a whack ass era that people are like, Oh, I told you this guy isn't anything. I told you he can't fight. Co-main event on this car was my guy. Kane Sandoval. Kane gets a um, stoppage win over Wesley Ferreira. Uh, decent, decent fight. You know, I think Kane pr- thoroughly dominated the fight. If I'm being fair, I'm not being biased in any sense. Dropped him, I think, a couple of times, to be honest with you. It was just, if and we're the fair police, right? It was just a beatdown. It was just a stronger man beating up a guy who wasn't as physically fit, wasn't as young, didn't have the athletic gifts. I think the most interesting thing about this was Rashad Mahdi took to Twitter or Instagram to kind of call out Kane Sandoval. Rashad Mahdi's at 14-0, and Kane's at 11-0. Love a good, like, interesting fighter, fighter on fighter call out that's actually realistic. Hell yeah. And like, listen, they, you can't, the, the younger generation of guys, we've talked about this, the, the undefeated guys are more willing to fight each other than the like first stable of PBC guys. So that, that is some of the optimism I have about the direction of boxing is that you do see that more often with the guys that are kind of like 25 and under. Um, and I, I think that's a great fucking fight too. Yeah. So, I mean, there you go. That's, that's basically Rashad the boxing Mati's of the tough. week. Rashad Monty's a tough guy. And so is Kane. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's they're both, fun. it's a great fight. And these are the fights that honestly, um, we're going to get into something right now before we preview the actual fights that kind of prefaces this because those are the fights that we should be getting that deem world title challengers, right? We should be getting fights that actually get us excited, that elevate. We shouldn't be getting these genius guys going, you know what? Boots, Innis, Virgil Ortiz, they're not ready yet. They got to marinate. We got to wait four or five years until the fight's completely uninteresting. And that's the, no, shut up. You're, you're what's wrong. You're what's wrong. 
when these guys are most relevant, that's when they should fight. You're the problem if you think like that. But um, Boots Ennis gets the IBF title. Um, doesn't have to fight for it. Crawford isn't the champ. You know I'm as big of a guy on Boots Ennis as anybody. I love my Boots Ennis. He's probably my favorite fighter in terms of watching. But we're lacking a real Mamba mentality in the sport of boxing, bro. We're lacking a real, like, we're going to get to a point where there's going to be more champions that have, have been given belts than probably earned in the ring at the rate we're going right now. Dakota, what do you think of this nonsense? So, But when you say that, do you attribute that to Boots or to the IBF? I have no issues with Boots because I think Boots is a guy who's been trying to make great fights, trying to make interesting fights. Crawford and Spencer in a log jam doing what they've done, holding up the division. The fight happens. It's a great moment for boxing. Crawford has the moment of his career. It's the biggest moment. To me, it makes Crawford the fighter of the year because it's relevant and it takes Crawford to the next level. It's, it sums up, if you want to sum up 2023 in boxing, you go Crawford Spence, Crawford's performance. Boots is not the problem, but Boots by default is going to be in the problem. Because the problem is these sanctioning bodies just kind of don't consistently do anything. The IBF allowed Errol Spence to, to have the belt since 2018. I don't think he's made a defense since Carlos Ocampo. Crawford got the belt, what is it, like July? And yep. now they're stripping him in November? Um, and he's contracted to a rematch clause to Errol Spence until December? I mean, it just... It just basically screams they just don't they don't believe he's going to be a welterweight, so they want to move they want to move on, and it just seems more like politics than a sport. And I guess maybe I'm naive, but a part of me also would like to see Boots go. You know what? Let's find like a Mario Barrios and let me fight for that belt instead of just getting it because I guess from a fan's perspective and I understand Boots's perspective because he feels like he's been jerked along but I guess from a fan perspective I'm waiting for that Hagler I'm waiting for that Mamba mentality Kobe that Michael Jordan that goes you know what I don't want to win a fight via email I want to go out and take a belt from somebody and I guess that was kind of like the the big letdown of this whole thing is not just do they strip great champion of Crawford with it they kind of devalue Ennis in the process by just like giving him a belt and he's the most interesting well of welterweight he's probably the well, best it, welterweight i don't know if it devalues him i'm not sure it ups the value the amount that it would if he won the belt but i don't think it devalues him i think it does put him in a position where if you want to be an undisputed welterweight champion now you have to fight him so on that level i do think it it tactically puts him in a different position of leverage but it's also fucking silly. I did a little looking into if that's been a thing before. And uh, I'm pretty sure they did that to Fury after he beat Klitschko. Oh, like right after. It was the stupidest to, thing. Yeah, because he was supposed to they was mandated to do the rematch. That didn't fucking happen anyway. But whoever their mandatory was, they were like, oh, you're not going to fight him. So you can't keep it. And I don't get how that helps the sanctioning body, for one. Like if you're looking at just on a corruption level, like what the incentive would be for them to. And by the way, that set up Charles Martin versus Glassoff, which set up Charles Martin becoming the IBF champion, which we both know Charles is a great fighter, but Charles is widely considered one of the weaker modern heavyweight champions. And it's strictly because 
the IBF stepped in and had to strip Fury. And what what I, even if you're just if you're just talking money, you're just talking business, whatever. The amount of a sanctioning fee that they would get for that fight couldn't be as high as any fight that Tyson Fury would have taken, right? I mean, I, I, it doesn't. It just doesn't make any sense. I don't. I don't see the logic, both from a business perspective and from just a athletic perspective. I, I just I don't see the boots one from an ath a business perspective because they're like saying we think you're Tesla, we think you're Tesla, we think Crawford's gone. We're the first sanctioning body that's going to get behind you, Boots. So you, be loyal to us. When you win the belts in multiple divisions, stay with the IBF. We want our belt next to you. But, for example, like when the WBC stripped Savannah or called their champion and recessed, they're going to make Shadeja and Franchon fight for it. Why is it that the IBF didn't? I hate it. I guess the idea is the idea is he was the interim champion which he won from Karen, whatever oh. his name was. And then he defended it against Roman Villa, which to be fair, that's a, that's a real fight because yep. that guy had beaten Speedy Ellis. But I guess they're saying because he was the interim champion, they're going to elevate the interim all the way to the, to the upright. But I mean, when this stuff happens, it always rubs me the wrong way. When Devin Haney got elevated into champion status, it always sit wrong. And I'm a Devin Haney fan. I'm a boots in his fan. It just rubs me the wrong way when guys win world titles and it's not in the ring because it's just what's Boots Ennis's world title moment when we look back on history. We're going to have to look at the Karen Chudnoff fight. It's paperwork. His title moment is like is some sort of form he filled out or, you know, like that's what I'm saying. And it, 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 I just wish that the Mario Barrios fight would get made for a title because that's a fight. That's a fight. I think it has something to do with the fact that it's, I mean, I haven't seen anything official, but it seems like everyone's already filled in the blanks that Crawford Spence two is going to be at 154. So do you think that's impacting that decision on some level? Well, I think that, that the feeling quote unquote boxing insiders are saying is that, that, Crawford's not coming back to welterweight. And if he does come back to welterweight, he's only coming back to welterweight to antagonize Errol Spence. So, so, so that, let me ask you, I'm just, I'm just thinking from both sides of the table here. If that's common knowledge amongst boxing insiders or, or whoever at a certain level of the sport, right? Why, wh what benefit does it do for the welterweight division to let Terrence Crawford hold on to a belt until he and Errol Spence ultimately come to a deal for a second. And I'm fine Which with that. Like could take a very fucking long uh, time. Oh, I'm yeah, we already know that can log jam. I'm fine with that. I just like the idea of guys having to fight. No, totally. They should have had I'm the fine with I'm fine with taking the belts because we know Crawford and Spence move at a snail's pace. They do not move yes, quick. By the way, I and I just said all that. I still don't like it. It was a couple months ago. It feels very premature and you know, if it had been six or seven months, it, maybe I could justify it more, but it's way too fucking early against the best fighter in the sport. And, uh, you know, I, I still don't like it, but if that's the rationale, I have less of a problem with it, and they should have made a fight. Ha that, that That's where all these other belts start preventing good fights, too, because if he hadn't been the fucking interim champion, they would have had to, you know, force him and... and 
Is Barrios the number two ranked? I don't know, but they keep bringing his name up. I think number one and number two aren't listed magically. Like whenever they elevate champions magically, there's like some vacant ratings at the top of the division always is what I've noticed. Uh, James Burrell, our good friend. I don't like that it discounts the era's best American fighter in the eyes of the casuals. The sport should be behind Crawford in every way. The guy would have been on Wheaties boxes in another era. I mean, that just, I think that also speaks to the level of we're not consistently seeing the best versus the best. So when we don't see consistently the best versus the best, when there's a dominant performance like what Crawford had with Spence, I think a lot of people that casually watch boxing go, oh, well, Spence wasn't ever that good. Because that's what we've been taught, because this game has been about manipulation and how can we take an A-side, B-side fight and how can we build up these achievements with the past elite path of least resistance. By the way, just for the record, I think that he would have had to fight Cody Crowley, um, which I think Cody Crowley turned down the fight to be fair. That was the rumor. That's a shame. It's uh, it, 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 does, it puts boots in a very difficult position where he gets handed this belt that he didn't win. But he's one of the best fighters in America. He's he is one of the most deserving not, champions, but he's put in a position. Like, it's not like guys are lining up to fight him and he's going, nah, I'll just take the belt instead of fighting you motherfuckers. Like it's there's nothing there for him, you know? It just it's a frustrating situation because it feels like Boots is a, a talent where you could fight four to five times a year with how he performs. He's not fighting all that often, probably because he gets paid a ton of money. And, and and PBC has no, you know, the 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 future of PBC and how they go about broadcasting a show is very unclear right now. Okay, Glenn Dale taking shots at Shakur Stevenson. He said Shakur half half step distance management Stevenson will get dropped on November sixteenth. The shots are coming out, so I think we've covered the boots and his like thing. On that. Um, I got some breaking news for you, Dakota. Are you ready for this? Break some news, bro. Break some news. Um, your guy, Virgil Ortiz, you love, you love some Virgil Ortiz in your life. Just posted a photo at Robert Garcia's gym and it said Virgil Ortiz and then X RGBA. Um, and then the fight date, January 6th, looks like he's back with Robert Garcia. What are your thoughts on Virgil working with Robert Garcia? I think that's the right call. I think just being in that environment is only going to sharpen your blade. There's so many good guys to spar with. There's so much skill going on all in one location. And I feel like at the moment when you see the number of top guys that Robert has, like if you have the ability to be in there and you're not in there, that's the bad decision. Well, I also think it's safe to say in retrospect, Virgil's best fights and experiences in the ring came with Robert Garcia, in my opinion. Totally. Totally. If and, one could almost say the minute he left Robert Garcia was when a lot of these adversities started coming about. Well, and def definitely all of his, uh, you know, weight related issues and training related issues came after leaving, if I'm not mistaken. So um, I think it's a it's 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 awesome. I'm glad he's finally fucking moving up a weight class. Kind of a weird opponent, but they also really have to see what they have. Yeah, I mean, the, the opponent is not, for those that don't know, it's Freddie Lawson. It's not an exciting opponent, but I think at this point it's so hard to put in a good, sexy opponent because you just got to make sure he gets to fight night. So I think... Solomon kind of, you know, that kind of level. 
It's just, I think we both look at Virgil Ortiz as a potential Hall of Fame type boxer. He's got some real greatness to him. And this is just like the definition of it, like a, a tune-up fight, sort of. And with good reason. And you're very right. He's he's missed two opportunities to fight for a world title because of very serious health issues that honestly could have long-lasting impacts on his life. So we have to make sure that he is actually healthy enough to compete. Let's go into the main topic of this show, Shakur Stevenson, Edwin De Los Santos. Dakota, what are your initial thoughts? My initial thoughts are that in many ways, De Los Santos is the most interesting opponent that Shakur has been in with because he's got a very good boxing IQ. He hits very hard. I think he's kind of hitting a peak of sorts and, um, and he's in his prime. I, and so I, I just think that as far as, you know, Shakur has had some very difficult fights. He's beaten top guys, Kansa Sal, uh, Oscar Valdez. He's had some great wins. I'm not discounting that, but I just think that where De Los Santos is at in his career and the way he's looked his last couple fights, I just think that he's probably the most interesting opponent of Shakur's career. And I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, if Shakur were to totally whoop this guy with the last couple of fights, it would really be very impressive. Well, I think to me what this fight signals is this is a guy that I know is coming to win. This is a guy that I know is going to be as big, if not bigger than Shakur on fight night. This is a real puncher. Here's a fun fact. Edwin De Los Santos has only gone 48 rounds as a professional in 17 fights. And I want to say 18 of those come from the Joseph Adorno and William Foster fight. This is a guy who at the highest level of the sport is getting a lot of knockouts and he loses to William Foster the third. Then he just fights undefeated fighter, undefeated fighter. Oh, prospect. He's taking hard fights, extreme self-confidence. To me, this is a trap fight because I think a lot of the talk in the media is about Devin Haney Shakur. A lot of people are not talking about De Los Santos to Shakur, if we're being honest. A lot is, wh what do you think of Devin's fight? What do you think down the road? Yep. This this is a lot about, and, and Glenn Dale brought this up, and when De Los Santos has a two-inch reach advantage, although I want to put a caveat, Hobson Koskow had a two-inch reach advantage. Jamel Herring had a four-inch reach advantage. Reach with Shakur we've seen is not the, it's not the end-all be-all because he knows how to do that, but I think that Edwin De Los Santos is an extremely dangerous opponent and the fact that he's being written off he's coming in with house money and he's a very big puncher who's coming in extremely confident Dakota would you say he's the most confident he's ever been how could he not be I mean I really especially the last fight the level of IQ that he showed like he really is a smart boxer he's got a good jab he moves well so he has multiple things that he can go to. I'm not sure that Shakur has fought anybody as versatile as De Los Santos too. So he may be fighting somebody that can actually make the adjustment, right? Because Valdez got great fast hands, hits very hard, but he, he couldn't get his feet in position to, to get his shots off against Shakur. Um, and and so the point I'm saying is that the, the guys he's fought kind of do things one way. And I think that De Los Santos can do things a couple of ways. So Glenn Dale, we can tell Glenn is a um, confidant or at the very least a, a big fan of um, Edwin De Los Santos. Thank you, for, thank you for tuning in as well. He said, Edgar's longer, stronger, younger, faster feet, insane counters, and KO power in both hand. Also right-handed southpaw. 
Shakur will have no physical advantages in this fight. He wins easy. I'm a fan. Then he added, Edwin had a messed up camp for the foster fight, wasn't eating right or training right, and half of his camp in the Dominican Republic still came out with a split decision. I think the one other thing we got to say is Shakur Stevenson really feels like he's the all-time great of this era. If we had to put it currently, he's the, I'd say him and Devin Haney, but what makes him different than Haney is no one really in this era has done the multi-division thing. He's in 21 pro fights. He's going for his third division world title, which is not something we're seeing a lot of these young fighters doing, which is kind of going out of divisions that they feel that they're too dominant in and moving up a division to add size along with fighting the best. Stevenson's doing that pretty effortlessly. Like he hasn't really run into a ton of resistance. I know in his developmental fight, I think there was a guy in Reno that he kind of had some frustrations with, but Stevenson out of all the young fighters, we haven't really had that moment yet where you look and go, okay, there's the glaring weakness. He's basically been so dominant in world title fights. People have almost kind of belittled his achievements. He's a, three-time world champion, unified world champion at super featherweight, and won titles in two divisions. He's I can't kinda, remember losing a round. And I he's kind of... Oh, go ahead, Dakota. No, I, I can't remember him losing a round, and I'm sure he has, but I can't remember it. That's how dominant he is. And and just to add to it more about the dominance of Stevenson, um, He's going for the third division world title. I mean, this is Oscar De La Hoya, I think, did it in 16 fights, if I'm remembering right. Um, Loma did it in 15. I mean, he's entering a an, a class of fighter that isn't all that common, and he's doing it in 21 pro fights. I get that's a little behind, a little after um, Lomachenko and those guys, but he's in that conversation amongst those guys. And I do feel that there's a sentiment amongst boxing insiders that a lot of guys don't want to fight Shakur Stevenson because he's just a major technical problem because he's able to do distance management. And now he's standing with you and exchanging and punching with you. It feels like he's kind of the boogeyman it feels like uh, when he goes to weight class divisions, all of a sudden the divisions kind of clear out. If you get what I'm saying, he goes to 130 was like this vibrant division. All of a sudden there's no one there. Well, um, he did beat two of the top guys, by the way. In which one? He did beat two of the top guys, by the way, when he beat Valdez and Concesau. So it wasn't it wasn't like he fought nobody and then moved up. He beat two of the top four or five guys at the, at the and break. don't forget Joe Gonzalez was the mandatory challenger for the vacant but, WBO featherweight title, undefeated coming off a stoppage win over Tino Avila. And that was a really interesting fight with a grudge match undertone. And people just look back on that fight like, oh, the WBO did a, did Shakur a solid right there. You know, like that was a fight with a lot of emotional undertones. The, I think I think everything that we're saying is to say that this fight's being treated like a tune up when it's actually just a really good lightweight matchup that he's the favorite in. And I don't know that it's a trap because I trust his preparation. But I get what you're saying in that it's kind of being promoted and advertised as something that it's not. Like, I think De Los Santos is a top 10 guy. Like, I mean, to me, De Los, this, uh, De Los Santos is like a three to one underdog. He's he's right in there. And if something goes wrong, this fight's going to get competitive. I fully expect him to win a round in this fight. 
I expect him to hit Shakur with a clean shot and us to see, like Glenn Dale said, this fight's going to tell us about Shakur more than ever. We'll see if he has that dog in him and a chin. I think that's really what I'm expecting is I'm expecting to see how does he handle De Los Santos' power because I think Edwin's going to land on him. I know this was a while ago, but Shakur lost to Robisi and he also lost to Joseph Adorno twice in the amateurs. The trick is to get Shakur to fight out of his pace. Let's go, Edwin. Let's not forget Ruben Villa, Danny Gonzalez. A lot of guys beat Shakur in the amateurs, but that's the amateurs. I think that what makes Edwin interesting to me is a lot of times when you look at a guy like Shakur, people look at the technical skills, but boxing has taught me that the unconventional fighters are the ones that trouble them. Edwin's a little unconventional at times, and that's what makes this fight a little tricky is when he knocked down Ryo, those punches aren't your quote-unquote textbook punches. Then you watch the Adorno fight, and he's showing a different dimension that impressed us. This is a, this is a real fight being disguised as a as Shakur Stevenson um, three-division world champion fight. Tune in and watch it. Well, and it also shouldn't be treated that way even more because what is the fight that he, you know, Devin's a 140-pounder now. So the 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 marquee fight at that weight is Tank Davis, and I don't hear anything about Tank fighting. Appreciate you, Glendale. I mean, and like, look, probably Tank is coming back when we find out what PBC is doing. Like, we're probably going to get an announcement, but it's also like, if we're being real and we're going to be real, I think Tank has a good resume, but he has not shown us that he's going to go out and fight these 50-50 fights. He's always got a little bit of an advantage over the guys that he's fighting. We haven't seen him, quote, I think he wants to. I think he wants to fight a guy like Shakur. But as of now, if we're going to keep it all the way fair, he always has at least one little advantage over the guys. 100%. And this would be the one guy that he wouldn't have that advantage over, really. Outside of Lomachenko, which I still think is an interesting fight for either of those two guys. That's still a fight that I would like to see Shakur in. Um, so, listen, you can, you, again, we could talk about this being the tune-up fight, but really the two big fights for him at lightweight are Tank Davis and Lomachenko, and it doesn't seem like either of those fights are right around the corner. And I think... I like Zapata too, man. But he turns yeah, and I mean, that's the frustrating thing. And then this is the other thing, too. It's like Frank Martin, interesting fight. Oh, he didn't take this fight. De Los Santos took Well, he didn't, fight. and he didn't, right? Yeah, and it's like, I think there's something to be said for Edwin De Los Santos in an era where guys aren't taking fights. This guy took a fight, you know? And it's like all yeah. these guys talking about, oh, who's this guy that's going to take the fight? De Los Santos took the fight, so that really means he's a dog. He's been taking fights. Been, bro, he lost to William Foster takes a fight with undefeated Luis Acosta, jumps in with Jose Valenzuela, and then jumps in with Adorno. Those are three real fights after your first career loss. To me, that tells you about his mentality. When he loses a fight and goes, let me jump in harder, and then he starts stopping guys just like he had been doing. He's um, he's kind of like a Subrail Matias type, bro. He's I think he's very dangerous. Okay, our guy crazy. What do you guys think of Mercado's second or Nesto Tito Mercado? We'll do a little, we'll give you the time sneak here for those right. guys. Um, I doubt um, Dakota knows about this, but I know he stopped Nakatila. Let me, I gotta do the stamp. Um, 
timestamp thing. But here we go, guys, because the people on the replay like the timestamps. So Ernesto Tiro Mercado, second round stoppage over Jeremiah Nakatila says about Shakur Shakur had a UD and Muratala hat. Also a KO2 over Nakatila. I mean, but that's also styles make fights. You look at Muratala, you look at Mercado, they're very aggressive fighters. When they see guys hurt, they go to stop. Shakur is an aggressive fighter, but he's also a fighter who doesn't really overcommit. I saw Mercado running at the opponent kind of open who felt like the guy was defenseless. And let's also not forget Shakur kind of opened the door on Nakatila where like he beat him. And then once a guy's will is once he's lost a fight, it always feels like it's a little bit easier for the next guy and the next guy because the confidence is gone. So that, that logic never applies. The, the, how long this guy took with this guy, like just doing the most basic one, Floyd and Manny fought a lot of the same guys, and a lot of times Manny would stop him early, and Floyd would go late into the fight with him. And it, it just doesn't apply. I think that the be- more interesting conversation is Ernesto Tino Mercado is making himself into an interesting person people are talking about on the internet by taking interesting fights on the club level with his father paying the opponents, and he's building himself up so when he gets into title contention, he can sign or co-promote with a big promoter and make a ton of money and he's becoming like an underground, kind of similar to what Devin Haney was a couple of years ago. He's doing things that are capturing people's interests and proposing questions that say, how good is he? What would happen if he's in those fights? So I think it more so about his performance, I'm more impressed with his business ability to make people now put him in the mix with these fighters when he's fighting on club shows. Yeah, I I think he's a very exciting guy, and I I've, I've actually been a big fan of Nakatila. I thought he looked great against Burchell, so it's a it's a great win. So I, I got a hot take for you, Dakota. We're gonna go Emmanuel Navarrete, Hobson, Konskow. I really think Konskow is live in this fight. I feel like I'm a Navarrete hater though, because like everything about his style never makes sense, and I feel like I'm always picking against him just because like I'm also partially hoping he's off my television. Can't really say like any of his fights have ever been my favorite fight ever. It just kind of like it's effective, but it's definitely not the most fun thing for me to watch. Um, but I feel like this is like Navarrete. So this is my issue with Navarrete. He's yo-yos. So like there's times where he gets dropped by a random guy from Australia. Then he looks like a million bucks against Valdez. Yep. Cossacow is kind of like that middle ground. If he does not look like a million bucks, if this is the, I just feel like Cossacow is like a true professional. He fights the exact same way in each situation. He always he's probably would you say he's top five weigh-in guy? Like always super jacked when he gets yeah. on the weigh-in. To me, I, I view this as a closer fight than I think most people. What do you see about this? I think in general, when I think of the two of them at their best, I think Navarrete's awkwardness would really bother uh Kansasau. And you could see in the back half of the Valdez fight, there was that little bit of fade. I just think I generally see Navarrete outlasting him and making him uncomfortable and the volume being too much. All that being said, though, if he's been like fucking off in camp and Kansasau is treating it like the fight of his life, I could definitely see him making it a very uncomfortable uh, fight for Navarrete where he's kind of following him around and isn't sharp enough to, to plant and really get off his combinations. You know, I think that's what makes it an interesting fight. But both of them at their best, I got to go with Navarrete. 
It's just that intangible of if he's fucking off right now, this is not the uh, the guy. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. Like, Navarrete is the one fighter where, like, I feel like every single time I'm always, like, doubting him and he always wins. And he's, like I said, he's highly effective when he's on, but it's just, I think it's like... Shit too. He hits hard. He throws a lot of punches. It's just like he's so, for lack of a better word, fundamentally unsound, and he makes up with it with just a lot of volume, hitting hard and being relentless. But it, I don't know. Like I just never feel like like we have our guy Glenn Daly said, "Don't tell anyone, but I put a thousand on Cossesau." I mean, like I just wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to live that way because, like, I just don't know what it's gonna look. Um, is Conceição's lack of activity a concern? He's had several fights canceled, and no decisions since his loss with Stevenson. Yeah. Sure, why? You know why not? That's he's fought two rounds in the last, you know, year and change. That, that's Larry never- Liston saying Shakur got a feeling De Los Santos won't get any big hits off. He thinks it's nine three. That's a great fight I mean, if we listen, get a nine three one. If somebody uh, got three rounds off Shakur, that's he's one of the best in the division. Yeah, Hobson taking the belt back to Brazil. Navarrete will be hit at will in this fight. Uh, do you think Conceso will make weight without an issue? He's 35 and listed at 5'10". I mean, Conceso has been a true professional his whole career, so I don't know why. We, Navarrete we, make weight. That's really I think that's what I was actually going to say is Navarrete has always been the guy that, you know, he. I did you see that? I know. Well, you're Dakota. You don't watch the media workouts. So there's the media workouts today, and it's like, Navarrete vintage media workout looking like death, looking all sunked in, looking awful, very vintage. You see Conceição, he looks like an action figure, very professional, looking to appease the five fans that are in attendance for him because you know everyone's coming for Shakur and the big name fighters. But it's like maybe it's just my bias, but there's something about a guy like Hobson Kosakow who's an Olympic gold medalist. It took him three Olympics to win his gold medal. And like he's very friggin' professional, and he's had a guy test positive for PEDs. He had a guy show up overweight against him in his world title fights. It's like maybe this is just his time. <laughs> maybe you want to see it. You want to see the guy with the textbook boxing skills and the good work ethic and the pedigree beat the guy that doesn't take training as seriously and fights very strangely. I'm not saying that I have bias, but I'm just saying when a guy fought a guy that more sense. Navarrete doesn't make sense. Navarrete doesn't make sense. And there's something in me that would like to see Conceição win because he fought a guy who failed for a PED test and the fight still happened. And then he fought a guy that missed weight and the fight still happened. And it just feels like when he's fought for a world title, everything that could go wrong went wrong. And I thought he beat Valdez. And I thought he got hosed on that decision. And I think that most people don't even remember that. And I feel like if he fights the way he fought Valdez, that would be a tough um, one. Larry Liston, I got Navarrete split decision. I think it'll be close. Conceso will probably do well in the start. I th- Dakota, is this the consensus that I think everyone thinks is that Conceso is going to start this fight very strong? Um, yeah, because he's just, a, I think, the naturally more sharp guy. But I, I, I do think that Navarrete is, I don't think you're fully giving Navarrete credit for his intangibles. Well, I think that the the, the power like power is a skill. So like just because it looks You're ugly, if you get hit hard, throwing an uppercut from the other side of the ring and landing it is a skill. Yeah, and I think that, that like time. 
and there I've struggled with this, but Navarrete could be the Eric Morales of this generation. Like he could be the guy. And it's like, we just, this version of Eric Morales or that version of this fighter just isn't as fundamentally sound. I grew up with the Barreras and the Moraleses and the Marquezes who were very fundamental and sound. Maybe Mohamed was a fucking weirdo, you know? Like, there's always been guys that fight weird. Or that do things in an unorthodox way that get to the top. Okay, Navarrete definitely ain't knocking gold medal Olympian Conceso out. The safest outcome is the fight will go to decision. That's a serious bet. Um, heated chat. Navarrete turns into a zombie after round five. I truly see him stopping Hobson. Uh, Navarrete got an A-plus chin. Yeah, he does. Hobson's faster hands, faster feet, gold Olympian, and has 12 rounds with Shakur. Did decent, too. Navarrete's too slow and brutish. He will get embarrassed. I think me and Glenn might have the bias towards, like, fundamental boxing that might be, I'm seeing, uh, very I, difficult. I mean that way, too, bro, but I just think Navarrete is extremely effective. Very difficult to hurt. Hobson, though, is probably a better pure. I don't think probably. I think he is a better pure boxer. Mm -hmm. If you were going to teach a five-year-old how to fight or a 10-year-old, you probably would say, look at Hobson. Don't look at Navarrete. Navarrete, you have to some physical tools. Um, styles make fights, and Conceso's style is all wrong for Navarrete. There's a lot of fundamental flaws in Navarrete's style that need to be exposed. Question is, can Conceso do that? Uh, if they change the scales for Navarrete at the Liam Walsh Wilson fight, which is one of the great storylines we tackled on this. Do you remember Liam, Liam Wilson came in at 126 and said he weighed 130 and it was like scale gate. It's hard to see, uh, Conceso overcoming that level of the, uh, support. I believe truly on this level, this big fight week in Vegas, I don't think there'd be any weird stuff like that. I don't even know if I believe that. And if that was that, that would be the commission. I think the Vegas commission's good. Our guy, Shoeshine Boxing, says, salute, fellas, listen at work. I'm going to call into the Shoeshine Boxing later on tonight. I think we've tackled this more than any other podcast will. Dakota, what's your gut feeling on how this fight plays out? Uh, I think that Navarrete is is going to win, not a wide decision, but he's going to win a comfortable decision in a similar kind of way that he did with Valdez. I just think he's going to be too relentless and too too durable. I don't think Conceso is going to be able to get his respect either. Yeah, that's a big thing. Let's go to another fight I'm excited about. Brian Norman Jr. versus Quentin Randall. Either. I love this fight. I saw Quentin listed at plus 700 today. I don't know if that stayed, but that seems like some really high odds on a fight. I think it's a 50-50 fight. To me, I said this before, Brian Norman Jr. screams of like an athlete, kind of like an Andre Berto type fighter. Randall's a fundamental fighter, a very technical fighter. This is athlete versus fundamentals. Do, the, do some of the gifts that Norman have? Can they overcome some of the fundamental skills that Randall has? Because I think Randall has skill set for skill set. It's like Kosakao versus Navarrete. It's kind of the same fight in a way, but just different skill levels. It, do the physical gifts beat the more fundamentally sound fighter? What's your thoughts on this, Dakota? Well, the way you set it up, maybe we'll get Andre Berto and uh, Luis Colazzo. Except maybe they'll get the decision right. But um, I, I do think it's a great matchup, and I think that Quentin is going to show him some things that he for sure has never fucking seen in his entire life, and I don't know that you could say the other way around. It's definitely a 50-50 fight, and uh, it, it's just athletically, it's one of the better 
if not the best matchup on the card. And uh, Don Boxeo is saying Randall has no power, but he's a craft MFer. I wouldn't say Quentin doesn't have power because I was in the gym with him. I think Quentin chooses not to sit down on his shots and believes Quentin's very, very fast and very accurate. And lost in accurate and fast fighters don't sit down on their their uh, their shots. So what I would say when looking at this fight, if you were going to, I like you have to watch it. If you're tuning into our show, you have to watch this fight because this is there's three undercard fights you have to watch if you tune into our our nerdy boxing show. This is one of them. To me, it comes down to can Brian Lorman land something really big really early because he needs to change the course of the fight very early. Brian has said he's hurt his hands in his previous fight, so he's looking better. Um, Quentin is a guy who's been in a lot of hard fights and he is mentally tough. This is just a good fight. And I think it's also exciting that a 22 year old is fighting a guy in his thirties, both undefeated. And this is, Hey, talking about the IBF. Why doesn't the winner of this fight boots, right? Because that creates a champion. Like if we're talking about given this is, this is the type of fight that should elevate someone to get an opportunity like that. I agree. That's literally the issue with the, with the other secondary belts, Ben. It just prevents good fights. What's your gut feeling on this, though? This one's a, this is a tough one to call, man, because I, I, I could see some of Norman's athleticism bothering Quentin in spots, but I just think that he's going to have the answer and have the adjustment overall. Okay. But it, it's, it's a tough one to call. It's one to watch. So now we're going to go to the one the chat wants to know about. It's your, both of our guy. It's uh, Troy Isley taking on Vladimir Hernandez, who's also my guy. So it's battle of my guys. This is like the definition of a 50-50 fight. Um, I think the consensus feeling is Vladimir Hernandez throws a lot of punches. Can Troy match the activity? Because Vladimir has outworked world champions like Julian Williams. Alfredo Angulo we outworked. He's able to outwork a lot of really good fighters. And also, if Vladimir were to win this, which is not out of the realm of possibility, Stockton needs to make him a statue, bro. He needs to get a statue in that city if he if he gets another upset win. But this might be the fight the fight to watch on this card. And he's been sparring with Joe Sean James, so that can't hurt either. I mean, what what are you thinking going into this fight? Because I think this is one everyone that knows us is going to be watching. We're excited. Um this, this is, is this is a real taking, fight. This is taking Troy Osley's temperature, man. I, I think he's super talented. Um, but this is the first time he's really getting in and in with a guy that's won at a level that Troy's never fought at. So this is this is a massive step up in competition. And if he were to win this fight and win it impressively, it it would be sort of his graduation. Puts him into a world title fight in this terrible he, division. He graduates from prospect to contender if he if he wins this fight. You know what I mean? This is this is a real this is a real matchup, and it's the right time for Troy to do this. He's twenty five years old. Like this is the time to take these type of fights. I agree, and I I also think that he's making the progression. I know people want him to get more knockouts and shit, but I feel like his skill set is progressing the way you would want it to. So, um, Shushan said, I thought I saw Berto and Ghost are going to fight. I believe they're no longer on this card. It's not been officially released. Um, Norman is at lower odds for the KO ratio for that fight. 
Uh, Vladimir Hernandez, Troy Isley, interesting fight. Vlad is tough as hell. Don't know how seasoned Troy is, but this is going to be a war. Vladimir coming off a great upset of Truck Simpson. I mean, he's beaten so yeah. many great fighters. I think that what's frustrating about Vladimir Hernandez too is Israel Madromayoff turned pro against Vladimir Hernandez, stopped him in his first fight, and now basically doesn't fight anymore. That's why I had the excitement of him is his first fight. It's like, whoa, you turn pro against this guy, and now it's like, probably will never fight at a world-class level for a while or if he does it'll be like after his prime and um sue Shine wanted to let you know that joe sean james is great sparring yeah and i him and vladimir hernandez getting rounds and it can only be making them both sharper that was literally the last podcast i did with joe sean he was about to go get rounds with with hernandez and i believe troy is training with um uh, coach Ronald Sims now. So he's going to be with coach Sims for this fight. New coach. It's a, this is a fight, bro. This is a really, really good fight. I got one more for the super hardcores. Are you ra Are you ready for this one? Oh yeah. Floyd Cashlow Diaz against Max Orlanes. Um, it's a very under, under the radar fight. People don't know, but this is a really good one because Max actually shouldn't have lost his fight that he lost. It was a split decision on a golden boy card that was atrocious. Floyd Diaz, very good fighter, but he's had some up and down performances. This feels like the same exact type of fight that Brian Norman and Troy Isleyan. This feels like a step your game up dog fight. It's nice to see some of these because the last there has the you know top ranks usually good about this, but there's been a couple of these cards where. It's guys that it's obvious they don't really know quite what to do with them, so they put keep them active in these fights that are not particularly competitive, and this card has a lot of tough fights on it. Well, I think that's what makes the sport interesting is when you put guys in. Here's a, here's a real question, though, I have for you, Lukey. Why the fuck is this on a Thursday? That doesn't make any sense. This is the this is the biggest card of the week by far. Well, I think it's because on Saturday that's when the F1 race is happening. So this fight is partially for the boxing fans, but it's also because there's multimillionaires coming into Las Vegas for an F1 race and uh, the cheapest ticket to watch the race is $3,000. So imagine the type of money that's coming in. So I think this is piggyback it's like why is there a golf tournament at the wind casino only one fucking place to put on a fight that's like the stupidest shit i've ever heard but but i'm saying like they're piggybacking off of it like there's a golf event called the netflix cup tomorrow on tuesday a lot of sports are piggybacking off the f1 because they're shutting down all of las vegas to run one of these these events and they're kind of overtaking the city so Think of it as like NBA All-Star Weekend. Imagine like a boxing card happening on Thursday the right before NBA weekend kicks off. Listen, I'm just saying they could have done it on a Saturday night and sold out the Prudential Center and had a real Shakur Stevenson crowd in there. And I get what you're saying, but what, what I'm saying is they're literally trying to piggyback off of an event that's taking over Las Vegas, and they want to appease those fans i'm and, not a businessman lukey i don't know what that means but that sounds pretty dumb to me well that that i'm giving you the reason for it that's literally the that's literal true. reason yeah. is they're trying to attract a high a high clientele who's coming in with a lot of money that likes to spend money and that's kind of what i'm guessing i'm gonna be interested to see what the overall 
ticket sales are for this fight. A few last notes on this card. We got Abdullah Mason and Emiliano Vargas on the card. Any thoughts on those fights? No thoughts on the fights just because I don't know the opponents, but I'm I'm big on Abdullah Mason. We've been watching him literally since his pro debut. He's fucking incredible. Um, I don't know. Again, don't know anything about the opponent, but I always like seeing him active. Him, I'm not looking. I don't really need to know the opponents yet. He's a teenager. You know, I media workout was great, bro. His hands were fast. Yeah. He looked loose. Like I like watching media workouts because you see the progressions of the professionalism. He probably had the A plus media workout. I'd say Shakur had a B media workout because he's carrying the card, but he only shadow boxed. I would expect a main eventer just from a technical standpoint. I'd like to see him hit the mitts because maybe there's a kid out there. They hear the sound of the prize fighter that they like the most. I thought Abdullah Mason had the best media workout in terms of good snap, quick hands, entertaining, little song and dance, in and out. I thought he did the best. And honestly, Kinsaysaw was up there with him. Like, I thought those two were the most professional, but I thought it was impressive that a teenager was one of the more impressive media workouts well he's 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 trying to impress and i'm i think emiliano vargas has a, a high upside as well um oh, he's great he's, he's great, great but i think that it's also going to be a very slow burn i think it's going to be years and years of of what he's doing and um i think it's fun i think he's talented and all that stuff but i also think that it's i think him and abdullah mason are in the exact same spot I don't think they're going to get that step up fight for a couple of years. You know, I don't see them ramping up the competition just yet. As they shouldn't. So they're, they're on that. I guess one other one, if we're going to go super, super nerdy, which we always do. Uh, Andreas Cortez is on there. He's taken off Freddie Fonseca. He's fought some veteran opponents second on the card, which we always know if you're on a top rank card and you're towards the bottom kind of like an uh-oh statement. We've kind of seen those guys in that that early thing. He went from the co-main event to second on the card, albeit he's a Las Vegas guy there. But, I mean, to me, a little concerning that he fell that far on the card. Concerning just as far as what you think Top Rank thinks of him? It's never good to go from a co-main event on a Sinise Estrada performance, fight Xavier Martinez. It's a big fight. You would think it's going to catapult you and get you kind of higher on the bill. And now you're kind of under a lot of these prospect fights, you know, in a fight that's seemingly meaningful and possibly maybe the logic is more so if someone falls out in the Navarrete fight, he can fill in. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's concerning that he's in that realm of being a top 10, 130 pounder, and he's basically fighting second in the night. There's a couple of those guys, right? It's like him, Landolfo. There's, there's a couple guys. Javier Martinez comes to yeah. mind. Like he, he's fighting in eight rounders at three o'clock, you know? Yeah. yeah. I always just think that if you're going to be a smart fight fan, it's always good to know who those guys are because it just does. It seems like something's a little off, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it just seems like something's a little off. Yeah. I agree. What do you think, though? I just, I just think it's, it, it, it must be uh, jarring for the fighters to just not kind of know what their place is or what yeah. their position is. Okay, real quick, I'm going to say this: um, Fresno, California, is going to have a fight on Saturday. Gabe Flores is going to be there. Vic Pasias, a guy who should come on your podcast. Vic Pasias, great fucking guy. 
fantastic fighter. A lot of good fighters. Kevin Montano, good fighters. I will no longer be able to be there. I was going to be there if it's a Friday. Guess what? It's a Saturday. I work on Saturday. I'm going to be a ring announcer in San Jose, California. Dreamland Boxing is throwing a show. Uncle Luke, you will be the ring announcer. Come out and see me or go to Fresno, either one. But I will no longer be able to go out there and support Robert Garcia's great event. And that's a bummer because I was super excited to go out and support Robert Garcia because I think Robert's one of the good guys of the sport. Just wanted to throw that in the show notes. Um, tomorrow on Tuesday, bro, we got so many good fights. You won't believe it. Listen to this ESPN plus card. We have tomorrow, Steve Claggett versus Miguel Meduno. I don't know if you know who that is, but he's a big puncher. He's real raw, but he, he's, I think he's won almost every fight. If not all of his fights by knockout, Steve Claggett, he's like a, a just a guy who's always been tough. Co-main event, Steven Butler versus Ivan Alvarez. Alvarez beat guys like karma, um, not karma, Damian Sosa, the samurai. He fought Quentin Randall to a majority decision. Uh, and then my favorite Olympian from 2021, Iman Ketoff, is on that card. Do you care about this Canada card? Um, vaguely. I, I'll probably watch some of it just because I saw, you know, uh, the two fights with Evie Lissy that Claggett was in. Um, there's definitely some interesting names on here for sure. I think what I like about it is you got Claggett in with a puncher. You got um, Stephen Butler in with a guy who keeps beating guys that he shouldn't beat. And Butler's coming off losing to Janabek. And then we got my guy, Iman Kitov, who's just a highlight reel, possibly a better version of better BF in an eight rounder. And he's probably going to get a first round knockout. And that's, this is going to start his hype machine where everyone's like, Oh my God, this guy's awesome. So, I mean, that's what we get on that night going over. We're going to have you. You are not going to believe this pro box TV back in your life. Listen to this card on pro box. Justin Paulado, a million dollar man taking on Jerry Perez. That's the main event. Then we got Guido scram versus Johan Gonzalez, knockout artist. And your guy, middleweight Jimmy Kelly, also returning on that card. That's a solid card. What do you think of that card? That is a solid contender card. I, Jimmy Kelly is a fun fighter, too. What what stands out to you most on that card? Probably Jimmy Kelly. Um, I knew a couple of those names, too. But I have noticed that there's been, like, honestly, there's been a lot more contender slash maybe championship-level guys on Pro Box recently. So, um, definitely worth tuning in. That's a, it's a nice little card. Look, Justin Paul Dolo versus Jerry Perez. That's a good fight. Jerry's like make or break. But I'm going to tell you something. Guido Schramm has a lot of Marcos Maidana and Diego Chavez comparison, in my opinion. He's taking on Johan Gonzalez, a guy with a ton of knockouts. I think Schramm's probably going to pull off an upset or win this fight. Schramm is like the quintessential central Argentinian tough guy that most people love. And then Jimmy Kelly is a guy that I truly believe is going to probably fight for a middleweight world title at some point. Again, you know, the fight that he, he fought Liam Smith kind of prematurely. He fought Jaime Munguia at some weird catch weight. I think Jimmy Kelly's a guy that could take on Janabek or Carlos Adami's. Dude, middleweight's up for ground. If you're a good fighter at middleweight right now, you, you could be in the mix. You know you love your WBC conventions. In Uzbekistan, we got the return of Carlos Quadros versus Pedro Guevara for the WBC interim super flyweight title. 
And uh, Miriam Narsolotanov, who's a middleweight, who I, I believe he's a middleweight, maybe he's super middleweight, taking our guy Vincent Fagginboots on this card. Shout out to the WBC for putting this together. But that Carlos Quadros, Pedro Guevara fight, really, really good. And if I was a betting man, I would definitely bet against Carlos Quadros. Man, he has been in some fucking wars. I don't know how. I, that's a guy I didn't expect to see again, to be honest. I also don't know if there's a stream for the hardcore enthusiast. So, like, I don't know if you can even watch that fight card. I think What's that you just have to take their word. That's the one I would be interested in. Maybe they'll give us one, but I think that's an interesting card. How deep is this weekend? We're going to keep going. Uh, Saturday, we got our guy. I was actually going to start this segment like this. Um, I don't know if he's the prospect of the year. I don't know if Keyshawn Davis is the prospect of the year. Or Raymond Muratala. Murataya. Someone got mad at me. Murataya. Don't, don't say Muratala. Murataya. Um, Diego Pacheco versus Marcelo Corsias is, I guess before we break, do the breakdown, we know Diego Pacheco more than likely is going to win. It's a comparable component opponent to Edgar Berlanga. It's the classic. I'm going to do better than Edgar Berlanga. Berlanga got dropped by this guy, you know, and then I'm coming after you, bro. You know, I want to fight you at the sportatorium, all that stuff. Uh, we've done all that stuff. So we don't have to do that boring stuff. Pacheco, Keyshawn Davis, Murataya. Who do you like as prospect of the year? And does this fight weigh into that? This fight definitely weighs into it. At the moment, I would lean towards Murataya, but um, I, I think Pacheco is fucking incredible. I just think that Keyshawn and Murataya are fighting at a little bit of a higher level at the moment as far as competition. But this is not an easy fight. But Cosaris is a tricky guy. He was giving Billy Joe Saund- Saunders fucking fits when they fought. I, you know, you can make the argument that he beat Berlanga. So I think he's a more dangerous opponent than you might think. Pacheco's been so um, just outstanding every time we've watched him. I just feel like I expect him to walk through everyone. But this is kind of the first real contender that he's been in with. I also like that, like, if we gave him prospect of the year, he'd probably be mad. I always like that's the sign that it might well, be the actual be. prospect yeah, of the year. All. Like, I'm well, no, like, I feel like if we gave it to Raymond Murataya, he'd probably be happy because no one ever like brings him up or like is like gives him props. But like, I feel like Diego Pacheco would do the classic thing, like, I'm a contender. And that typically is the answer of the guy that's prospect of the year. Yeah. And he should feel that way. But, I mean, I'm expecting Diego to be very dominant. Do you think any of the this fight lays any groundwork for David Benavidez's fight coming up? In what sense? They have the same team. I, I, I don't, I, maybe I don't understand. So, like, Jose Benavidez Sr. is Diego Pacheco's coach now. Like, they are in the same gym. They train together. Do you think that, like, let's say Diego has a dominant performance that's probably going to set the tone for the gym where everyone's like, Oh, Diego got his win. Yeah. Now Daniel Blancas and David are going to fight where conversely, if he gets a split decision or it's like all over the place, do you think that kind of makes everybody like a little more on eggshells? Do you uh, think it has any correlation to that upcoming fight? I don't, I don't, I think they're all professionals that I, I, I can't imagine that. I also can't imagine that Pacheco would have a hard time with this one as good as I think Cosaris is. 
I'm looking at his box right now. He's lost a couple more fights since the Berlanga fight. All decisions against really good unbeaten guys, but I just I think it's 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 going to be tough. How does Diego fighting at home in L.A. headlining a card? Does that play any factor into this? We're going to find out, right? We're going to find out if it gets in his head or if he's just comfortable no matter where he's at. What do you think he wears to the press conference? Because I, I feel like he's probably going to wear something. Is he a fly guy? Does he get fly? I don't know. Like, I can't decide if he's going to wear like a Lakers jersey or if he's going to get an H&M button up. Like I'm, I'm really on the fence. I feel like those, there's an outside chance David Benavidez takes him shopping and he comes in the Versace shirt because David Benavidez, you know what he's wearing to every conference. It's Versace. You know, David's coming in a Versace shirt. It's the newest, it's the newest Versace item that's out. That's what David's showing up in. But I do feel like if they were, if boxing was more interesting, we'd get a prop bet on what Diego Pacheco is going to wear to the press conference. So I feel like, like, Possible, uh, possible, uh, Kobe Bryant jersey, right? He talks about the ma- the Mamba mentality. That like good LA, good LA thing. Um, black H and M button up, you know, looking like he's going to a job interview. Yeah, maybe it's Hugo Boss. Maybe maybe a Hugo Boss, or he goes all in and uh, and gets the Versace David Benavidez thing. Who knows, bro? Do you think that there's like, it's not awkward, but like, I do wonder what the dynamic is with Diego and big David Benavidez because Diego's getting to that point where he's probably looking at David and going like, we're in the same gym, but I might be like going after what you have at some point. Totally. That's, that's always an interesting dynamic to me between two high level guys that fight in the same weight class. Even if they are at different points in their careers, I just, it would seem that a fight between the two of them would be unavoidable. I think that's like the elephant in the room with me. And part of why I haven't fully graduated Diego to a prospect of the year outright. I think that in my head, Pacheco and Murataya are my probably two, one and two right now based off of Keyshawn, probably not fighting one more time this year. Um, it's just I'm trying to make sense of the fact like is David out of this division soon? Like in my head, I can't wrap around because it's like he's like the number seven guy in a division that has five guys. And or team- or or will it just be like a Jared Anderson FA Jogbo where they're just like, no, nah, we're not, we won't fight each other. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, but it's an interesting thing to track. Okay, here we go, Dakota, you can take over this segment. Marilyn Rivas, the WBC junior featherweight women's champion, has taken on your girl, Erica Cruz. Um, it's happening. It's the co-main event. It's probably going to be one of the best fights of the weekend, and I am ill-informed to talk about it. As am I. You, you, you put me on the spot there, Bob. Well, isn't Erica Cruz the one that gave Amanda Serrano uh, an honest fight? Uh, yeah, she is pretty fucking good. She is tough. That was the one from February, right? She gave Amanda the tough fight. So, I mean, to me, I would expect her to have a tough performance, like a good performance. But then at the same time, sometimes guys have like, or girls have legendary performances and then they fight someone and they're like, they've been in a lot of hard fights. that That fight with Serrano was also that kind of fight. You know, it was fucking brutal. There was cuts. They both left. Great fight, by the way. It was a classic, but they both left something in the ring. 
Well, I think they're both diminished. And I think that more that I think about it, it's like, I don't know much about Revis, but it wouldn't shock me if Revis, Revis had one of these performances where it goes, oh, we couldn't believe that happened. Here's one for you. Uh, my guy, your guy, Mark Castro, he's back. He's fighting a guy I truly don't even know, Fuenzalita. My guy, Mark Castro, is so friggin' good, and he needs to start being in these co-features and main event type spots soon, man, because he's he's getting his record up there, but it's his career is happening a little anonymous. His career is happening weird. He was co-main eventing Canelo, and now he's kind of nowhere near fighting in the interesting spots as much. It's like kind of backwards. It's like the fights that no one really was excited to see him fight in. He was getting all the publicity. And now as he's on the verge of kind of entering contendership prospect status. But I, I think that's because I think coming out of the Olympics, he was viewed as like, this guy's going to be a superstar right out the gate. So he gets slots on cards that he hasn't necessarily earned in the pros. And I don't think that he like blew everyone's mind. He's just a little bit more of a technical type guy. And so well, now he's more of like a Leo Santa Cruz guy. And I think that he's the more, he's not, he's not, he's not as, he's not as action oriented as Leo. So I think that, the, I think that some of the, the more patient way that he fights just didn't wow people in that kind of way, even though I think that he's maybe even more talented than that would imply, you know what I mean? But I just think it's, um, you know, the, the, you have to figure out what to do with a guy like that if he's not just immediately going to be a ticket seller. Your guy, Mr. Crazy, said Erica Cruz got all bloody in her last win on September 5th, so that's back-to-back -back hard fights for Erica, yeah. man. That's rough. That's rough. That's a hard way to make a living. Um, we're going to get, Larry, we're going to get to this in a second. I think with Mark, it's the other issue is like Matchroom's kind of looking for this guy that's going to take over in America. And they've kind of got a guy in Diego Pacheco that they brought up, but they really, every promoter's in this position. Like every promoter's looking for their homegrown guys. Golden Boy's done a great job with Ryan Garcia, Virgil Ortiz. They're doing it with Floyd Schofield. Top rank, they got Xander, they got Shakur, they got Keyshawn. PBC uh, doesn't have any real young guys outside of Tank, but whatever. Matchroom is looking for their young wave of talent, and I look at Mark Castro and I go, "Man, Mark, Mark should be that guy." Let's see what else we got for for the loyal listeners right here. We got a Denzel Bentley appearance. He's going to be fighting on ESPN uh, Plus on Saturday. So if you're super hardcore fan, you can watch Denzel Bentley return to the ring. He gave uh janabek an honest fight but i know nothing about his opponent and i'm not gonna lie to you i'm not even gonna research his opponent i'm probably not even gonna watch the fight denzel bentley will fight it will happen but why should you probably be aware of that because denzel bentley gave janabek a good fight so you know carlos adamis is rubbing his hands together going man i'd love to fight this guy to put pressure on him or some fringe contender um might fight him you know shane mosley jr might end up in a fight with him somebody might fight him denzel bentley's really good and the middleweight division is really bad so if you're a really good fighter in a really bad division you should probably stay aware of him but now i'm going to get to what larry liston was saying and sadly i'm probably gonna have to keep talking because i don't think dakota knows much about this fight but it's what it is um, Nick Ball, who's like five foot five featherweight, who looks like a power lifter. He kind of looks like your boy Cletus Seldon. 
the pro wrestler. He looks like the U UK version of it. He's taking on Isaac Dogbo in a WBC featherweight eliminator bout. Our guy Larry Liston said Nick Ball versus Isaac Dogbo. It's a super underrated fight that might be the fight of the entire week. Great clash of styles. I also think the context of this fight is it is such a horrible time in the featherweight division. The division is in flux. We got one champion that I think we believe is the best guy in Robisi Ramirez. Then we have Luis Alberto Lopez. And then we kind of just go, what's the rest of the division? We don't know. WBC featherweight champion, I think is Ray Vargas, but he hasn't even fought in the division this year. You know, he lost Oshaki Foster moving up in weight, hasn't ever returned. There's been rumors of him versus Brandon Figueroa. This winner will be in that awkward mix of whatever the hell the WBC featherweight title is right now. But this is a good fight. Nick Ball's been getting a lot of knockouts. He hits hard. Isaac Dogbo, former world champion. Do you have any thoughts on this fight, Dakota? I really like Nick Ball. I'm not a big Isaac Dogbo guy. I, I respect the, the heart and determination, but he's gotten beat up real bad a couple of times. He's gotten a couple of gift decisions. In my view, uh, I don't think I'm the only one that thinks that. I, I just and they're point, you're looking at the Joette Gonzalez one front and center on that one. And I'm looking at the the Chris the 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 Chris Diaz fight. The uh, he, Diaz one, yeah. Yeah, there's no way he won that fucking fight. So I just he seems to get a lot more chances. I didn't like how he handled the last fight at the end of the fight. I just thought that Robesi was just so much better than him, and he acted like he got robbed or something. So. I'm not a big Isaac Dogbag guy, but oh, he rubbed you the wrong way, bub. He yeah, he rubbed me the wrong way, bro. I just it's like at a certain point, enough is enough. You get your ass kicked publicly a couple of times, and then you don't handle a loss with class, and I lose interest. And do you think Nick Ball stops him? I think it's really possible, but he's shown a durability to get through these fights. He's just taken so much punishment that you know, at what point does that does that levy break? He's. I want to say 29 years old. He's getting that to that point, strangely, where he's a young man that probably needs to think about doing something else fairly soon because of the amount of damage he's taken. I agree. Just on the Navarrete fights alone, but then when you go to the Joette fight, the Diaz fight. Um, really? Any world-class fight he's been in, even uh, the Jesse Magdaleno fight, he took a ton of punishment, even yeah. in winning. Yeah. he's just He's been in some rough ones. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what he's done to get to the fights he gets to sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's just to go back full circle. Sometimes it's who you know, not what you know. And uh, it definitely seems like that's the case. Nick Ball, um, really weird body type for boxing. Like looks more like a power lifter than a boxer. He's like a little pygmy David Tua. Like, it's just, it's like, if you said, what do you do? I'd probably think that he was a bodybuilder. Yeah. That would be my guess. And if he said he was a pro boxer, I'd be like, are you a good one? Like, just because it's not a very traditional. You do the FDNY versus NYPD. That's what <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Do you do battle at the badges? You do local four versus uh local one. The local 22 versus, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, well, there's. And then there's one last fight. You know how I love my Adam Aziz on Peacock. Right. We, we get Adam Aziz. I'm all in on Adam Azim. I think he's going to be fun. I think he's going to be one of these British guys. 
that's going to be a load of fun. He's probably never going to be the man in the division, but he's going to make some big fights. He's probably going to be huge for the local British fans. And these guys matter, bro. These you guys matter. Fucking chin up in the air. I like everything about him, but that chin up in the air, man. Well, I mean, he's he's gonna. It's not a matter of if he'll get knocked out. It's when he's gonna get knocked out. Yeah. And is he the best guy in the division? He'll never be that, I don't think. But he's friggin' fun. He's yeah. fun. And he is very talented. He there is a, a talent component with his boxing IQ. I just, it's hard for me to imagine him getting through a twelve rounder with any top ten guy with you know. That's straight up in the air. They're saying, do you think Aziz will make world level? I think that if he's matched carefully, he'll make world level. But I don't think he's a guy that you can just throw in there and be like, okay, let me just put him in with the best competition. He's going to be definitely like a guy that probably lose. My guess, this is a Lukey guess if I'm wrong. Azim will probably lose to a guy that's moving up in weight. That's hand selected a veteran, like a 37, 38 year old guy, 35, 34 guy moves up in weight, catches him with overhand, right? Knocks him out. And then there's a big thing about having to rematch it on boxer and all that. But that's just the Lukey prophecy that I see. Yeah. I think if he was at a different weight class, there would be a, more of a chance of him getting to that level again, because he is very talented, but 140 is just killers. Like I'm, I'm, I have trouble with seeing him consistently being able to fight ten to tw top ten to twenty guys, but if he's fighting like fun British fighters, builds his name, and then if he goes to the world level, he's probably gonna get smoked. Unless you fight like an older guy. Yeah. What do you think they're gonna do with him? Because he's getting to that. Let me see what his record is. Um, let's see what his record is. Well, I'm looking at he's nine and no, he's nine and no, so we've got at least two more years of these type of fights. Um, they got to put him in with like a you know, somebody like Elvis or Pedraza or just somebody that they can that's a, a real guy that they can get a gauge on. But I, I personally don't think he would win at that level, but he might be able to be just be more athletic than Pedraza. I just think that he's got something that I like which is the random guy who's untraditional, who's very, very flawed, who's going to lose inevitable. Maybe this is why I don't like Navarrete. He's the guy that's unconventional but never loses. I kind of like the unconventional guy who wins a fight, loses a fight, but he always comes to fight and is irrationally crazy. I feel mm -hmm. like Azim is going to fit that bill for the most of his career. Yeah, I think he'll fill a similar uh, slot as, as Amir Khan did. I th and I do think that he could get to that level. And Amir had a great career. I think that's a little high, though, because I think that, like, Amir was a much more decorated amateur, and he also had a little bit more fundamental sounds, and he had one great physical gift, which is possibly the fastest hands in the history of boxing up until that point. Amir Khan had top five hand speed ever in his prime, I think. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but I really, truly think he had some of the fastest hands. I don't see him having those type of physical gifts. Probably not. I just think that that's a, the level he could get to. Okay. Uh, Azim sells tickets. They could just keep him at the British level. And I think that's perfect because eventually if you keep him at the British level, someone's going to beat him. It's a-okay, -okay, and it wouldn't probably general. hurt. 
What? Him and Catterall. Oh God, that's a mismatch. But yeah. but it would be a big fight. But I think that like to me, he's not the same, but he occupies the Chris Eubank Jr. zone. Right? Like, do I do you really look at Chris Eubank Jr. and go, man, how does he fit into the middleweight division? At the yeah, well, now I do. But I mean, to me, I just think I look at him and I go, okay, he's going to look for what's the biggest fight possible. Like, I don't look at that as a guy that's like, man, he can't wait to see how he can leverage a sanctioning body and get a, a fight with it. No, he's going to, how do I get Connor Ben? Yeah. That's where I think Azim is going to go. Dakota, what are you going to do this week? What are, what are stuff people can do to support you? Go check out episode 103 of the Slip Wing Podcast with Christine Lopez. Go watch the Fight Life episode two with Shadej Green. Yeah, both are really good. I listened to the In the Ring with Christine episode earlier this week. Shadeja episode, fire, hot fire. Loved Thank it. You, brother. I, I was really proud of it. She gave me, her and her team just gave me a lot of access, and they're great people, and I'm looking forward to that fight. Yeah, bro. Any Any premature prediction? I mean, my predict, and by the way, I'm a big fan of Franchon too. Um, but I do think Shadeja is just going to be more powerful, more talented, more versatile, um, and I think she's going to be the champ. Yeah, we should we should maybe try to get um, Shadeja on one of these weeks. We'll talk to the powers that be. That might be a that might be a crazy. No, we, crazy. Can, we can make that happen. Yeah, we. I think we know people in the right places. Um, but I mean, I think that. That like okay, so the card she's fighting on the Jake Paul card she's fighting on. I like what Jake's doing. He's fighting a real boxer, ten and one guy. He's not the most decorated, but at least he's like it's it's a fight. Sure, it's you a know, fight. and I I think that's the one thing Jake Paul gets right that boxing doesn't. He listens when things are getting goofy and adjusts to the climate, whereas boxing typically has a habit of putting the square peg in the circle. I I hear you. I'm just, and we keep it a buck, right? We always keep it a buck. We got to keep it a buck. And Shadeja, if you see this, don't get mad at me. I'm just speaking my mind. He's already had, this is the best way I can put it. His fight is not the main event on that card. Shadeja's fight is the main event on that card. If we're talking about athletically and in the significance of the sport, and I still think that it sets this fucked up precedent where the most famous guy is the main event and not the most significant fight is the main event. And as great as it is that he's fighting an actual fighter, I'm not going to fucking jump for joy because four years into his boxing career, he's fighting a boxer. And I'm definitely not going to get excited that he's the main event and he's definitely the like least talented guy on the card. So I, I just think our standards are getting lower and lower and we're getting excited about shittier and shittier things. And I, well, just, I just like I'll push back on this is that like compared to these other influencer cards. OK, but he's not doing that now. He's trying to do our thing. Yeah, so, but I like but, but Lukey, if he's going to come into our world, we don't get to hold him to this fucking comic book Marvel standard now. No, I get it, bro. It's not Craven the Hunter <laughs> jumping in, chasing Spider around Gotham City. Listen, um, the guy he's fighting is ranked like 400th on BoxRec. You want me to get well, fucked? It's a hand-selected opponent, bro. We know the game, dog. This is a hand-selected opponent. Right, so why is everybody sucking him off all the time? That's what I don't understand. 
some rumors going around that Andre August was Jake Paul's sparring partner for two years. I mean, if that's the case, that's actually really cool this because then just, just let's all give him a big round of applause. No, that's cool what because the guy Andre August gets a payday, bro. Can you imagine like you actually get a real payday out of that? That's like because Leo Santa Cruz had a fight where he sparred his sparring, he fought his sparring partner, and no one cared about that. Bro, it's it's great that he's fighting an actual boxer. He's not a main event fighter. I have a hard time rationalizing championship level boxing being on his undercards. I'm gonna keep saying that. And that's fair because that that's the circus is coming to town. But, bro, but what what precedent is that center? Is it always just gonna be the most famous fighters, the main event? Is that I mean our precedent is our sport is really, really lame. And if you're really famous, you can just come over here and do it because we're just so thirsty for famous people to acknowledge our sport. As you've said, Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't get to do a 10-day contract with the Knicks, but if Leonardo DiCaprio wanted to box, we'd open up every friggin' door. And and, and by the way, if you want to, because I see the comments, if you want to make the argument that other fighters don't take tough fights right at the beginning, you're absolutely right. But they're not main eventing pay-per-views. That's my point. Yeah, I mean, I just I think that boxing is doing itself no favors by not making the best fights possible to allow guys to come in and do this type of stuff. Like the fact that it took like five years to get Crawford Spence. Like, that's not acceptable. It's great that we got the fight, but it's not acceptable. The fact that it's taking six years to get Joshua versus Wilder. Listen, I have accept- a problem with people enjoying their Marvel movies and their McDonald's meals and their Jake Paul fights. Just don't pretend like that's the best shit out. This actually reminded me of one last thing. So we'll do a quick little segment and the outro. So if you see this, you see this. If you don't, you don't. Uh, did you hear about the Saudi Arabia card that's probably happening December 23rd? Is this Usyk Fury? No, it's 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 Anthony Joshua versus Otto Valin would be the headliner. Deontay Wilder would be the co-feature against Joseph Parker. And then there's a slew of undercard fights, one of which being Frank Sanchez against Junior Fa. So that's a rumored card happening. It's a good card. Otto Valin might beat Anthony Joshua. That's what that was my first thought was like Otto Valin might be a little too good. That just seems like though that's like a too good to be true kind of card. That I don't. What, what, what was the sourcing on that? Dan Raphael. All right, all right. Yeah. So I mean, what do you what do you think of uh, if that were to happen? Um, I don't understand why they aren't just fighting each other. I mean, it is a great card, but I'm not going to pretend like that it makes sense. I mean, it feels like they're really tempting the boxing gods to just really just have one of them lose. And typically when one of them loses, their name is Anthony Joshua loses. Or they'll both lose and then the the two winners won't fight each other. I mean, that would, I mean, that's the other thing too. It's like (laughs) Joseph Parker is really friggin' good. And like people are probably going to act like he's a journeyman when he's a former world champion and actually probably won his world title more distinguished than Wilder's win over Stavern. He beat Huey Fury for his title in as a massive underdog. So like that's another one to think about. Yeah. Parker's been stopped a few times, but it's like he spars Tyson Fury and is part of that crew. And Fury's probably had the most success with Wilder. 
and that's another one that I wouldn't uh I would not be like super like oh man Wilder's just gonna knock him out and land the bomb squat like Wilder doesn't really fight anymore he did I'm one round interested in that era of PBC guys man like they're just not active and they expect that we're all just so engaged with what they're doing like Wilder's a fantastic puncher but he fights ugly as shit and he doesn't he, he doesn't fight at all and to be honest I know everyone loved the Fury fights but there's so much holding in all those fights and a lot of that has to do with Wilder's kind of lack of control over his body and his range Another fight on that card is Daniel Dubois versus Jarrell Miller, Big Baby Miller. I have no interest in Big Baby Miller. Wonder what the drug testing will be on this card. Non-existent, probably. It'll come in at 425 pounds. Just an absolute fucking unit. Looking like he's playing for the Chicago Bears. Yeah, he's going to fight a guy that's 213 and a half pounds. And it's going to look goofy. <laughs> and it's going to be in Saudi Arabia and the first rule of Saudi Arabia boxing is you only say positive things about Saudi Arabia you never talk about the Ooh. weird aspects of it the food is lovely <laughs> I've never been to a more welcoming country the The hotel and everything is so great I'm not, I'm not going to say who it was but there was a boxing journalist of sorts that was making a joke about like dating in Saudi Arabia and I was like wow you're a fucking tourist Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Bacol Martin Bacoli versus Philip Hergovic also could end up on this card. So this is like the super card. Fight. That's a great fight. Is, is it wrong that I think Bacoli wins that? And he, he's probably going to start out with his uppercuts? I don't think so, man. I, I don't I don't think so. I think Hergovic should probably win that one. I love a little Martin Bacoli because he's here for a, a, he's here for a good time, not a long time. Yeah. Like, he knows what he is. He's kind of like, he lo feels like a movie villain. Like he'd be the guy that's like the henchman, like the muscle for like a villain in a James Bond movie. And there's something endearing to me about a fighter that knows exactly how limited they are and just really likes it. Yeah. I agree. Like he leans into it, you know? Sure. Okay. Well, that's all the news and notes. Um, maybe we, it, depending on how good the top rank card is, maybe we will go live after that. Who knows? We might do a, a, we might do a, because I guess it's one of the bigger cards to end the year. We may do a, we never really do those, but maybe we will. You have to find out. We'll have to do a Friday. We might have to do a Friday one. I don't, I don't know. It just depends on how good the card is. Um, but yeah, great show. Thank you. Crazy. Appreciate we love y'all. We are out. Okay.